those of you that are brand new, we're studying Acts chapter 27 and 28. That's where this whole series was themed out of. Again, I was reading my one-year Bible. Paul gets shipwrecked on the island of Malta. Now, he had a ton of bad things happen to him. And yet, somehow, in the midst of being shipwrecked, he didn't remain stuck. He didn't get stranded. And I never forget, I ended up reading, it was Acts 28, verse 10. And these words came up on the, on the page and just jumped in my heart. Because I'm thinking, how does Paul get unstuck? How does he get his life moving forward? And these words came up. And when they were ready... And you know what I felt like the Lord said? I'm ready when you're ready. See, I think as Christians, a lot of times we're like, oh, God, help me. And he's like, no, but I'm already ready. Like, I'm ready I'm ready when you're ready. See, but if we're a victim, then it's always dependent on someone else to take the next step, to move forward, to help us. And what I realize is, of course, that's God's character. Why? Because no one in the faith is a victim. We are victorious. We are victors. We are champions. And there's no situation or circumstance that can hold me back except me. I'm the limiting factor. And we see that Paul recognized this as well. And last week we talked about the counterfeit life. That it's easy for people to live a fake life when they don't know who they really are. And I think social media plays a major part in this, right? I mean, it's who, who posts your worst day? Ain't nobody posting your bad hair day. Ain't nobody posting your Dunlap disease you know what I'm talking about? Some of Dunlap disease. It was so funny. My daughter really thought it was a disease. One day she said, Daddy, Daddy, look, they got Dunlap disease. Dunlap disease is where your belly Dunlapped over your belt. You ain't posting that. No, you posting yourself up in the gym. When you're about six months past and you're looking good and buff. And so we post a highlight reel. And then the problem is that we base our reality on everyone's highlight reel. And we never feel good about ourselves. And we begin to build this fake persona, this fake life. And we never get out of the rat race. And so here we are as Christians and we are actually rewarded. Why? Because people will love and like and heart your fakeness. And validate the fraud and allow you to, to, to move forward thinking, well, the world likes me. The question's not if people like you. The question is, are you doing what God created you to do? And sometimes you're going to have to do things that are going to keep you from being popular. Like you go tweet the thing that God says when he says, stand up for righteousness. Speak up for truth. And if you're out there living this life to be popular, you'll get into heaven because salvation is not based on works, but you will not hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I don't know about you, I don't want to just make it into heaven. I want to fulfill the very purpose and the reason that I was brought into this earth to fulfill. And we're going to do everything we can to depopulate hell and populate heaven. And so we talked about this counterfeit. So, so you know if it's counterfeit because you feel empty, you feel void, you feel a lack of purpose, you feel powerless, maybe you feel pitiful. I read an article a couple of months ago about elephants 
living in captivity. And the whole article was talking about how they domesticate elephants, how they train an elephant. It's really an oxymoron when you think about it. I mean, how do you domesticate something so large and great and powerful and strong? Right, it's, it's like, how in the world you do it? So my, my fascination with this article, I was intrigued. Began to read the article, and it's fascinating what they do with this elephant that is so big. And if you know anything about elephants, is I mean, they're so powerful, they can uproot entire trees. They can knock down buildings and homes. They can flip cars. I mean, they are massive. They are strong. They are powerful. And they are meant to be anything but held captive. And so you begin to read the story and what they said was they take a baby elephant and they take a chain or a thick rope and they tie it to the ankle of an elephant and then they tie that elephant to that, that rope to a tree. And so as a baby elephant, its natural inclination is to be free. They roam free. That's where they're at their finest. Praise God. <laughs> that, that you're called to be free, so they're roaming around. But now they've got this chain and it's tied to this tree. And so they're trying to move and trying to do what's inside of them, what they were created to do. But there is something that is more powerful than, than them because they're small. Though they are an elephant, they're not a mature elephant. They haven't come into the fullness of themselves. And so they try and try and try and try. And eventually what happens is one day, after having tried and tried and tried to break free from that chain, try to uproot that tree, they make up in their heart that doing so is impossible. And there is a shift that takes place in their paradigm. That no matter how big they get, they will always see themselves as the little elephant that could not break free. And so that's why you can go somewhere to like the circus and you see this massive elephant and there's just this little bitty rope tied to this little bitty post. And that elephant never tries to break free. Its will has been broken. Massive, majestic, strong, and yet held back by the chains of its past. I wonder if that's not a picture of some of us in here. That you are powerful, that you are mighty, that you are strong. God created you with this amazing destiny. But because of the chains of the past, many of which happened when you were a child, you refuse to try to break the chain now that you could because you're a mature person and you have been saved, set free, and delivered. So the enemy's got you bound up by the chains of the past. Thanks for my one clap. So you started a movement. Well, why? How? I mean, think about that. So here, I want to give you this identity. Everybody say identity. Identity breaks the chains of the past. I mean, how many of you would love to go to that big, big elephant and say, hey, come on, listen, you're a big, mighty, strong elephant and try to 
try to rebuild its paradigm, its idea of who it is, its self-image. And yet we know that for the rest of the elephant's life, it will live in captivity held by that little bitty chain to that little bitty tree, never becoming who God intended for it to be. Let's go back to Paul. When we look at Paul, Paul knew his identity. We've been studying Paul. That's how he could go through the shipwreck. That's how he could go through all the things he went through and nothing would hold him back or stop him. Not even the chains of his past. Think when you think of Paul, remember who Paul used to be. Paul was Saul, the murderer, the persecutor of Christians. Right, we know him, many of you, if you're new to the faith, you know him as the Apostle Paul. We rarely ever talk about Saul, the persecutor, the murderer. We just, it's the Apostle Paul. He's the one that was the great church planner. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But the reality is, if he didn't have his identity, the chains of the past and what he had done in the past would have held him captive in his own prison. But he knew who he was. And his real identity overrode the paradigm that was built in his life from his past. And so because he knew who he was, listen, he could go plant churches. Because he knew who he was, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. In other words, let me tell you, Paul's identity and the understanding of his identity made him unstoppable. Now I know what you're thinking. How do we know that Paul knew his identity? I mean, I mean, come on, Pastor, how do, you, how, do you, how do you know this? I mean, we never see anywhere where Paul publishes his personal identity statement, his mission statement. We don't see that anywhere in the Bible. Trust me, I've looked. I've Googled. Come on, somebody. How many know Google's got all the answers? You won't find that in the Bible, but you know what you will find? You'll find Romans chapter 1, verse 14 through 16. These are three I am statements. That Paul declares. Now, an I am statement is an identify, identity statement. It's who am I? Look at what he says. There's three of them. I am a debtor. Now, I know it sounds kind of negative, but I'll explain in just a second. He says, both to the Greeks, to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So he says, I am a debtor. Look at what else he says. I am ready. Everybody say ready. So he's ready to what? He's ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome. And then look at his next I am statement. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So here we see Paul's statement. Look, I'm a debtor. He says, I'm ready and I'm not ashamed. And so in modern vernacular, what he would be saying is, look, I'm surrendered. I'm a steward. I'm a servant. Now, I'm ready. What does he mean? He's saying, look, I'm equipped. Not in the future. I'm equipped right now. In other words, I have everything I need for life and godliness. Not tomorrow, but today. I'm bold. I'm confident. All of these are revelations of who he is and how we would say it today in our vernacular. And so that's where we understand the power of his life. The power of his life was not only changing his paradigm. 
For those that don't know what paradigm is, maybe you're just joining us. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Paradigm is the unseen subconscious programming that is running in the background of your life. In other words, it's the program that is actually causing you to get the results for your life today and tomorrow and every single day of your life. So if you don't like what you're getting, you got to change the program that's been getting it to you. But you really can't do that. How do we address what's wrong? Can't do that until I know what's right. And that's why we've been on this search for identity. For Paul, he had to go back to who am I, my my identity, who am I? And last week we talked about it. Uh, How many were here last week? We talked about the five steps to help you uncover your identity. Did anybody do the homework? A couple of people. Anybody else? Don't, Don't lie to your teacher. Come on, somebody. Online, did you do it? Just say, yep, yep, yep. Or don't say nothing at all. Nobody will know. It doesn't matter. If you missed it, I want to encourage you to go back to YouTube and the iTunes store. Look up Anchor Ben TX. It's really, really powerful. This week, it was amazing. I thought, I heard a story of someone who did the homework. They actually did what I asked them to do. And... um, the revelation of what she got was powerful. We talked about it in the lab last night. Kinsey, would you come up here real quick? I rarely ever do this. Kinsey Mahaffey, look, everybody give her a hand. Do we have a mic? So here, here's what, you know, if I could just be candid, I vacillate. Like even this morning, you know, it's, it's so much easier for me just to preach, to do it. But, but I have to tell you, something has changed in me since COVID. Because if we were as strong as we thought we were, many people wouldn't have fallen away. And so let me explain that. that according to Barna, 32% of the church who were regularly attending, were committed, fell away from the church just during COVID. And Barna's one of the greatest statisticians in America, 32%. But not only the, and, and you would think the crowd, but even the dream teamers, the committed, he called them the committed. And so it's like, man, it's got to be more than just you hearing this, you come back, yeah, we got to apply this. It's not known truth that changes you, it's applied truth. And so, Kinsey, this week, we talked about Hey, identity, and why don't you just tell them, like what you said last night, the journey of discovering identity and the I am statements. Talk to us. So over the past couple of weeks, God has brought up a memory that, truthfully, it's not something that I actually remember the incident. It's a story that my parents had told me. One night, I was probably about four years old. My mom was tucking me in, and she said that I looked at her with a very serious expression on my face, and I asked, Mommy what do I have to do to become a princess? And she looked at me and she said, well, sweetheart. Uh Uh-uh, you got to, they can't miss this. You got to get that. (laughs) She said, well, sweetheart, you were born into the wrong family. And she said, you'd have to either marry a prince or be born into a royal family to become a princess. And later on through the years, as we told this story as a family, we joked about it. And I told her, you crushed my dreams. I wanted to be a princess. And it was just something that we laughed about, a story that I never really took seriously. And my parents always said I was their little princess. So don't think I had terrible parents. I have the best parents in the world. (laughs) 
(laughs) But what God showed me this week was really powerful. He said that the lie that I believed was that there was something I had to do to become royalty, that I had to be good enough to be royalty. And as I continued to go on that thought process with God, he told me that the reason that there's such a fierce battle over identity is because of what it means. So here's what he told me about what it means to be the daughter of a king. I have authority wherever I place my foot. I have access to any and all resources that I need. I just have to ask. I am protected and carefully watched over by my father. No one or nothing can harm me or stand against me. I have nothing to fear. I am strong and courageous in all situations. God will be with me always. I am his beloved. Did you know that when we become believers? Hey, give me, either give me a mic that works or let's figure this out. I want to have a conversation, but I don't want to go in and out if you guys. They, uh, just bring it out, Cassie. So, did you notice a couple of things that it's not on? But, well, he's got it. Let's try it. Check, 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 check. Do we have it? You got it? Check, check, check. Check, 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 check. check. All right, we're going to do double just <laughs> so you figure that out. There's a couple of things about this. Number, number one, you really came to this revelation this last week. Right. So, she did the homework. Come on, somebody. She needs a... She needs a somebody got to give me... Look at this out right here. Give me this. Somebody, do we, do we have something? Vanessa, somebody jump up. It should have already been. So, so first thing is, here we are. She did the homework. You just come into church is awesome, but there's moments where your pastors go give you homework. You just got to do it. Why? Because procrastination is the thief of opportunity. Let me say that again. So I'll do it later. No, 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 you won't. Because right now there's a divine moment for our church to uncover your identity. Procrastination is the thief of opportunity, divine opportunity. So she did it this week. And here's what, what, what I want you to know. And it's so powerful. I, I'm telling you, I rarely have someone come up here. I, I normally make them do it on a video. And uh, I show we can't, we don't have time for that. Because people, you got to understand how powerful this is. So it started with I am statements. Mm-hmm. And I told the story of Johnny. You got to remember fishing with Johnny. If you didn't get it, you got to go back. Somebody. I got it. Thank you. Uh, come on, give Cassie and the sound people a break. You guys are doing awesome. It's not even them anyway. It's the stupid devil. He don't want this out. That's right. Four years old. Everybody say four. That's when the enemy planted the lie. Four years old. Remember I told you about my preschool teacher saying my handwriting wasn't enough. And I learned in that moment the lie that I fought was the fact that my good enough is not enough. My best is not good enough. So tell them, so in that, now you've uncovered your, your, your purpose. How did it make you feel? T- talk a little bit about that. When I really accepted that I am royalty, I am a princess in this moment, there's nothing that I have to do, my perspective on everything changed. I feel like whenever I come across something that's hard, I can laugh because I know who my father is who has control over everything. What? What? And so do you understand? Thank you, Kenzie. Come on, give it up for Kenzie. Come on. 
Do you understand the power that that brings to your life when you say, I understand? See, you can know it. Kenzie's been raised in church. She knows church. She's been here. She's done it. If, if I got to be candid, I think this is the missing. I'm, I can't speak to everybody else, but even here in this church, what I felt the Lord said, what we've had hasn't been wrong. It's been incomplete. We want to know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, make a difference. It's all still the same. That's the vision of our church. We want to know God, have a real relationship. See, if you don't have a relationship with God, you can't uncover your identity because you've got to go to the one who made you if you're going to uncover what my design and function actually is. Second thing is I want to find freedom. Still the same. Come on, you're never going to be totally perfect till we get into heaven. Come on, somebody. So, so no matter how much you tell your spouse you're perfect, you're just not. You need to be in a small group, and you got to keep getting healed, and it's like layers of an onion. I am healthier today than I was seven and a half years ago when I started this church. Aren't you glad? Third part is we got to discover purpose, and it's been right, but purpose is what you do. It's your function. And so listen, we're working now to revamp. I'm telling you, this is going to revolutionize our church. And, you know, again, I, if you're new, just join with me. We're going to go on this ride. It's going to be amazing. And you're, you know, it's going to be awesome. But next step is awesome, but it tells us what you do. Your personality, your spiritual gifts, all those things. But if you don't have your identity, then what happens is you start to carry weight you were never intended to carry. So I know that I'm a part of the body of Christ. I know that I'm a D, which is on the disc. I know that I have the gift of, of, of um, administration and whatever your gifts are. But the reality is those are still things that, that produce. So I got to know who I am. And if I know who I am, that's my form, then I can do my function. And that's the depth of what we're doing. Now we, hey, identity, purpose, hand in heaven, and then we go and make a difference. It's the missing piece. So here's the second thing identity does. And I just want to stay with my notes because I need you to get this. Identity gives you the strength to keep on going. See, Paul was shipwrecked, but he knew who he was and he knew what God would do through him no matter what situation was in his way, no matter what circumstance, no matter what challenge, because he knew his identity, he had the strength to keep going. It's like Kinsey said, so though she has always been a Christian, now that she knows who she is, there is this renewed sense of strength that I know my daddy provides. I am a princess. I am the daughter of a king, right? If I could snap my head back, I would. Somebody, I know y'all got you, Right? But didn't she know that before? Well, no, she knew it, but she didn't know it. So when you know it now, it shapes and changes the way I actually respond. So someone will say, well, did you change the world or did the world change you? I think the world changes most people. But when you have your identity, that's how you walk around changing the world. Did the situation change or did I change? I changed. Stepping out into who God's called me to be. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. So here we see Paul. He's going to talk a little bit about what he's walked through. There's no way you could walk through this without knowing your identity. I've worked harder. 
I've been in prison more often. I've been, sh- I've been whipped times without number, faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. And we're worried about the coronavirus. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers, from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. I faced danger. Somebody know a theme right here? Is it safety? I don't think so. He's got danger in the city, danger in the desert, danger at the sea. He said, I faced danger from men who claim to be believers. Come on, them haters are going to hate, hate, hate. But they're not believers. He says, and I've worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty. I've gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all of this, I have a daily burden of my concern for all the churches. How could he be unstoppable? It's because no matter what he walked through, he knew who he was. No matter what struggle, no matter what challenge, no matter what obstacle, he was not going to waver on his identity. And because of that, he couldn't be stopped. Look, you can't, let me put it like this. The devil cannot take you out as long as you're in God's perfect will. Like when it's your time, it's your time. Why are we going to walk around in fear? Devil, you're defeated. I'm walking in the power of God, the purpose of God, the faith of God, the joy of God, the grace of God, the strength of God. And if I die, well, then it's my time. But why would I allow the enemy to take me out? Because he moved me out of my position and authority with God. I'm not afraid of death anyway. That's Paul's mentality. What are you going to kill me? If you kill me, so be it. I'll be in heaven with Jesus. Who cares? That's why a funeral is so awesome when it's a believer. Why? Because we celebrate that as good as it might have been here, it is nothing compared to where they're at. The reason it's not a celebration is when they don't know Jesus. Because their worst day would be better than their best day in hell. But as a believer, don't cry for me. I know it's a song. Don't cry for me. Celebrate. Death ain't got no hold on us. When is the church, can we rise up and say death is not the end Like at some point, we're going to have to rise up if we think that it's all just, like there's nothing in here that's, wow. No, there was a theme to Paul's life. And I want you to see this. And and when you begin to look through this filter all through the scriptures, which the last six weeks has totally changed what I've been reading in the scripture. Look what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 18. This is Paul talking. Again, Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He wrote this book. This is a book called 1 Timothy. There's a 2 Timothy. And he writes it to Timothy. Now, Timothy is his spiritual son. So that would be like me writing this letter to the fellowship. The fellowship are a group of 12 young adults that I mentor every year. And so I'd be writing this letter to my spiritual children that I'm mentoring on a personal level. That's what he's doing. Timothy is a young pastor. So Paul's helping him. Like, hey, there's some things you're going to fight and struggle and things you need to know as a young pastor if you're going to really raise up the church that God's called you to raise up. And look at what he says, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you. So I'm going to tell you what to do as your father. Based on the prophetic words, everybody say prophetic words. 
Two weeks ago, we had a Wednesday night service. It wasn't even a service. You're like, why wasn't I invited? Don't get offended. Come on, somebody. It was a dream team gathering. And we just intended to have just this prophetic worship night. We're just going to pray over each other. We're just getting together and worshiping. And man, I'll tell you, it was probably one of the most powerful services I've ever been in. Prophetic words were spoken. The presence of God was there. I mean, it was really, really powerful. Well, Thursday, uh, I started to read my one-year Bible. It's amazing how it coincides with what God's doing in my life. And so I'm reading my one-year Bible, and I come across 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. I'm pondering. I'm thinking, God, how come right now there have been some prophetic words that have been released? Well, the reason I believe is because prophecy is a revelation of your future self to your present now. So the future you is revealed to your present self. And so that's what prophecy is. It's declaring who you already are, though you can't see it. So I can't see it, but that's who you really are. And I need it to be revealed to who I am right now. You get it? There are prophecies that are prophetic and judgmental, but that's not what we're talking. We're talking about prophetic words. That's what Paul is talking about. He said, based on the revelation of your future self now. They were spoken to you. He said, look, this is what I want you to do with your new uncovered identity, because that's really what it is. It's who you are. Look at what it says. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. May they help you cling to your faith in Christ. And may they keep your conscience clear. So in other words, the prophetic revelation of who you are right now, but is manifest in the future is going to help me fight the battles of life well. It's going to help me stay strong in my faith. And it's even going to help me live a pure life. There is something about identity that when I know it, I can't drift. I can't go to the left or to the right. I don't get knocked off. Why? Because I realize this is who I am. And once there's a revelation, it can never be stolen away. And so my concern, even with the dream team is, did they have a prophetic revelation of their identity? Because if you do, how can you fall away? If you do, how do you stop being who you know you already are? There is a pool that says, listen, I could get over here, but I'm going to be more miserable than ever before because there is an awareness that this is fake and this is real. And so though I drift, it causes me to come on back. I say, God, I know it's it's hard, but I can't live that fake life. I can't live the way I used to. See, used to, you were ignorant. And they say ignorance is bliss. But when you know your identity, you're miserable. You're mis- so it's like, God, I, I, my worst day with you is better than my best day without you. And it pulls you back. So here, here we see Paul's just, again, I want to give you just another example because I don't even think you believe me. I think you think I'm just fired up. And I am fired up. Because it'll change your life. I get fired up when I find something that will change your life. I know it's changed mine, but it ain't good enough just to change mine. I'm raising up a church whose lives will be radically changed. You want to see the church make an impact in the world? You raise up men and women who have discovered their true identity and you unleash them to the world. There ain't no devil in hell that can stop a believer who knows who they really are. And I'm concerned that we got a church full of people who have been doing good things, but they don't know who they are. And as a revelation for us, when we get this, then we'll be able to lead others. It's, I'm, it's, it'll radically change. It's, it's a game changer. 
It's a game changer. But I want to show you again, because I don't think you all believe me. Some of you don't believe me. Peter, let me just give you another example. I'm going to show you. So we see Timothy. We see Paul. Let me show you Peter. So for those of you that are new to the faith, there were 12 disciples that Jesus mentored. Um, and so he spent three years with them, trained them, taught them, helped them uncover their identity, their destiny. And then what we know, which is absolutely absurd to the normal person, is that these 12 idiotas, which is what they said, these unschooled ordinary men, they called them idiots, the religious, it said they could see, the world could see they had been with Jesus. And that power they received from Jesus, literally, think about this, 12 teenagers, what could happen if we could get our youth on fire? What could happen if we had young people who spend time with Jesus and learn their true identity? There is not a school in this region that could hold back revival, fire that would spread. Young people are so hungry for truth, and they'll literally give their life for it. So Jesus gets these little teenagers at 14, 15 years old. It's crazy. You think of them as men. No, they're just teenagers uncovering their identity. Look, look at Peter. He was just one of them. I want you to see this. I went back and read this through the filter of what I've been learning. Look at this. Matthew 16, 15. Then Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answers, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Now, of course, we know if you go back earlier and read this, what's happened is they say some say John the Baptist, some say a prophet, and Jesus says, that's what they say. What do you say? And I love Peter. Peter's a little, he's he's kind of a thug. You know, he cut off some dude's ear, a little ratchet, you know what I mean? Just kind of, just a little gritty, little, 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 just get after it kind of, and, and he gets a lot of flat, but he stepped out of the boat. He did cut off the ear, but Jesus put it back. So, hey, at least he got his ear back, right? Even in my ignorance, Jesus will heal the wounds that I make to others. Whoo, that'll preach. Oh, that's a whole nother message. And so we see Peter, here he is. He's the only one that's bold enough. We know he denied Jesus, but he's also the one that stepped out of the upper room and preached to 3,000 and one day saw a massive conversion of that whole city. So here, look at, look at what happens. So this is in that moment. He says, you are Jesus. So this is a prophetic revelation that was a game changer. Because they knew the Messiah was coming, but this internalized who was the Messiah. You're the son of the living God, Jesus replies. And here's something you got to know too. Once you define Jesus, then Jesus can reveal who you are to him. See, you want him to reveal your true self, but you've never defined your relationship. And so Peter defines it. You are the Messiah. You are God. And then now Jesus said, I'm going to define you. Look at what he says. You are blessed, Simon, son of John. Now, that's not what we normally call him. What do we typically call him? But that wasn't his name. His name was Simon, son of John. Everybody say, Simon... Son of John. We call him Peter because of this moment. So look at what you say. He says, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you, you did not learn this from human beings. Now, from this moment on, you defined me, I'm going to define you. Look at what he says. You are Peter. 
Now, when you look at Peter, what does it mean? That means, look, it's rock. You're a rock. And upon this rock, now that rock of revelation is twofold. Number one, it's the revelation of who Jesus is. But the piece that I think we've been missing is it's the revelation of who Peter really is, his identity. So based on the true identity of Jesus and the identity of my true self, look at what it says. The gates of hell, they're not going to prevail. I will build my church. I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Why? Because I have an accurate identity of who Jesus is and an accurate revelation of who I am. And those two working together, there's no devil in hell that can stop what God wants to do. Mm, mm, mm. 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 So you think about it. What would his I am statement be? I'm a rock. I'm dependable. I'm steadfast. You see, so you see this identity all through the Bible, even though you don't see they got their little I am statements. And so now we know that Peter, yeah, he denied Jesus, but he went back and said, but I'm a rock. That's why he went to the upper room. I know he went fishing, but remember what we found in first Timothy chapter 118 is that you can't drift too far from your, from your, your faith. You can't get sidetracked. Remember, I'm going to stay strong in faith. I'm going to fight the battles. I'm going to stay pure. So though he went fishing for a little, a while he couldn't stay there the identity of who he was pulled him into the upper room pulled him into the presence of God pulled him to the place where he needed to be and he was filled with power and came out and preached transformation okay number three here we go here we go identity establishes your real value your real value see Peter, Paul's, Timothy's, their value never came from people or status. He wasn't trying to keep up with the Joneses. I mean, imagine, can you imagine Paul? And, and you got to put it in the context of, of how we live life, right? I, I like to do that because otherwise the Bible is just a, a good book with good stories. But imagine Paul saying, hey, um, how big is Peter's church? Man, i got to get my church a little bit bigger. How, how big is Peter's Instagram followers. I got to get a few more. How many likes did Peter have on that picture? I got to get, hey man, somebody do something like blow somebody down, take a picture of it, something. Give me a few more likes so that I can be just on the same level as Peter. That's not what happened. See, Paul understood his identity and because he understood his identity, he understood his value. He didn't say what neighborhood do I live in. He didn't base his value on what school his kids went to. He didn't base his value on people's opinions of himself. He knew who he was. And look at it. We know Paul was wealthy and Paul wasn't wealthy. Look at Philippians chapter 4 verse 12. It says, I know what it is to be in need. Some of you right now, you know what it is to be in need. Paul knows what it is too. I know what it is to have plenty. Some of you are rich. Paul knew what it was to be rich. Look at what else. I've learned the secret of being content. In all situations and in everything, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Paul's value was never in his situation or his circumstance or his status. His value, listen to me men, was not based on his title or his career or how people saw him or what neighborhood he had his family living in. Listen to me men. 
That didn't wrap up his identity and his value. He knew who he was regardless of the circumstance or the situation that he found himself in. And the problem is some of you only feel valuable if you have status and popularity. So if I got status, I'm living in the right neighborhood. I got enough people liking all my stuff. Now you feel great value, but the problem is, and you know this, is that it's void and empty. You constantly chase after that thing that will never satisfy. You're pursuing something that will never fill your cup that's empty. The only thing that fills that cup is the reality of my identity and who I am. I know who I am, and that will not define me. Now... As we get ready to close, I only have one close. Some people have 10 closes. So if you're new, just for real, it's a, it's a close. Come on. I was thinking about how can we understand this a little bit better. And I thought, I got something pretty valuable in my pocket. So I have a $100 bill. So I'm not a baller. I just happened to be trying to buy some things on Facebook, and I need $100. Come on, somebody. Ladies, you understand. Facebook community sales. So I pulled out some cash. So I thought about, look, I got a $100 bill right here, and uh, how many know what it's worth? Okay. But here's what's interesting. It's just a piece of paper. Right? I mean, have you ever thought about this? Like, sometimes we're so trained. It's like, where's the $100? Okay, well, go get a piece of paper, write 100 on it, put a dead man's face on it, and call that $100, and let's go shopping. <laughs> pasta, pasta, you speak in my language. <laughs> you ever thought about what gives this $100 bill value? It's what it's backed up by. See, now, you don't understand that because it's not talked about a lot. But back in the day, before we had umpteen trillion dollars in debt, and up until 1971, it was called the gold standard. And what that meant is our currency, our paper money, was backed up in the reserve by the government with real gold. So if I had $100, there was real gold sitting somewhere that was holding the value of the paper that I have. That's what gave it value. So, how many, I mean, you think a $100 bill is pretty valuable, right? Would anybody like a $100 bill? A couple? I got a few. Cool. Look. Phyllis is like, I got it. Somebody said, lunch money. So, but let me ask you this. If I do this, how many want this $100? Why would you want it? It's all torn up. He's like, I want it. I want it. So, but what if I, what if I stepped on it? How many want it? You still want it, but, but I stepped on it. And I've got a dog, and you know where I've been in the backyard? You got a dog, you know exactly where I've been in the backyard. The one spot that dog poops. That's where I've been. Right? So who still wants it? All right, now, what if I spit on it? Hey, yo, you got corona. And, what, and y'all still want it? Who wants it? But, but I, I don't understand. Why? Okay, so, yeah, so let me ask you this. What if I told you this was counterfeit? Counterfeit? Somebody said, what's that? That's where 
Someone made the money, but it's not legal tender. It's not real. So who wants it? Come on, man. Y'all, y'all were like fighting up here. Ah! Ah, I'm, going, I'm going to lunch. Give me that. Look, I'm a pastor, not a philanthropist. I ain't giving you no money. But if I said it's fake, everything changed, but it's the same dollar. What's the difference? What it's backed up by. Right? So here's the thing. So even if I did this and discarded it, and and it's not fake, it is real. I've spit on it. There's probably a little dog poo on it. Who still wants it? Does anybody want it? I mean, you can come get it if you want it. If If you ain't scared, anybody want it? Y'all are like scared. So, so who's? I was real. I got one person in the whole place. Look, you better be fighting V. There he goes. That's a hundred dollar bill. It's actually counterfeit. I ain't giving no hundred dollar bill away. But here's why was that reaction? Because it has no value. You know, counterfeit only has value if you believe it has value. But a real genuine $100 bill has value whether you believe it or not. And some of you have allowed people who have discarded you, who have thrown you away, who have pushed you to the side, who have stepped on you, who have torn you up, who have caused you to feel devalued. And yet here you are. You're not backed up by the gold standard. You're backed up by the God standard. How in the world could you let someone in a situation cause you to decrease in your value? You know how? Because you don't even know your value. You don't know your identity. The only way you find your real value is to discover your identity. See, when you discover your identity, nobody can make you feel less than. No one. No situation. And and here's the the fourth thing that identity does. Identity unlocks your dreams. We'll talk about that next week. We ain't got time, but next week I'm going to come back. We'll talk about dreams. But it only comes through identity. Let me just pray over us. Vanessa, you guys come out. Father, we thank you for today. God, I thank you for what you're doing. God, I thank you for this moment. God, I thank you for your presence. Can you just talk to God? You know, I think right now that there are some of you right now, God's revealed a few things. See, you allowed others to give you your sense of value. And God's the one that designed you. He's the one that created you. He's the one that's given you the value. And I believe that was a breakthrough. See, when you understand that, you can't be a victim. Father, I break any spirit of victimization. Lord, just like I sense that elephant... It was just a baby. The devil doesn't play fair. The devil's not out to 
The devil's out to steal, kill, and to destroy. And the things that were planted in your heart as a child, I, I, I sense right now the Lord is just moving. Lord, right now, would you just do what only you can do? God, those chains of the pain of the past, God, would you identify and break those? Lord, do your perfect will. Break them. Lord, I thank you for identity. Help them to uncover their identity. I am. And Lord, let them, let them discover who they are. And I want to encourage you, those of you that don't know your identity statement or who you are, Go back and watch last week's message. Go on the journey with us. Don't let procrastination rob you of this opportunity. Father, I thank you for that. Move supernaturally. Now, if heads bowed, eyes closed, there are some of you in this place right now. You don't have a relationship with God. You can't even begin the journey because it comes in discovery through a relationship. I think you're in this place right now and you recognize there's a disconnect. You've been trying to make it on your own. You've been trying to do it on your own. And now here you are realizing that's the missing piece that before I go any further, I've got to discover who you are, Jesus. I've got to define you for my life and I've got to receive your free gift of salvation. And it's simple. It's easy. It's the easiest thing you could ever do, but it's going to cost you everything. Why? Because... It's not about your works. It's not about being good enough. That's religion. You'll never be good enough. But God loved you anyway. That's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe on him would receive eternal life. And Father, I thank you for that. That right now in this room, if that's you, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of surrender. Pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I need you. Save me. Fill me with your power. Fill me with your spirit. I surrender my life to you. Wash away my sins. Forgive me of my past. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Yeah.